Let's pray, and we'll get into the word. Father, help me and help us. Show us the beauty of Jesus working before he even came through men like Abraham and women like Rahab. Show us the reality that though you alone save and that you alone make a person right before yourself, you then call them and say, live it out for the world to see. Help me in this brief message and sermon to not be too distracting with the frog in my throat. And may we get through this and honor you in, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to finish up James chapter 2. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about faith and works. Remember, we, we introduced an, an, an uh, antagonist last week. James is hypothetically having a conversation. And he says what? Some of you say you have faith and others say you have works. This whole conversation, early part in James 21-ish, 22, James 2.21. And James says, I don't want to hear about your talking and about your dialogue. I will show you my faith by my works. And then James uses two examples from the Old Testament to back up his claim. you got to love James because he lays out gospel truth and then he simply backs it up. If and when we get to chapter 3, we'll talk about our tongue. And there's a couple good analogies there, forest fire and ship and rudder. It's pretty amazing. So let's continue. We'll read some scripture. James chapter 2. Let me open up this digital piece of paper. Verse 19. Let me recap for you. James 2.19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. We talked about that last week. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith... Faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac to the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. So I have in my first note, ask Nancy later or Kim, they have the sermon, Kim does, let's not overcomplicate things. Because sometimes in theological and Christian and spiritual circles, when a simple statement is made, what do we do if we don't really like it? We start to overcomplicate it. That's life, right? If you're at work and your boss says a simple statement, many of you who are snarky like me start to ask questions. What did you mean by that word? Uh, I meant what that word means. So in the context of our business and all these things, now hear me. Word and parsing and study and context are very important to scripture. But we've seen what James has been talking about for nine weeks now. What was his first message? Hang in there. God will do something. When you're going through it, battle the doubt. And now we're into the section between faith and work. So what is James saying? Remember Abraham. What was Abraham like before he had Isaac and went to the mountain? He was struggling to follow God. He lied about his wife to save his own skin. He said, no, that's my sister. I know she's beautiful. He was walking along this path of not doubt, but some struggling of belief. 
And so then God meets Abraham and Sarah who are old and she is barren. And what did God say? You're going to have a son. Abraham quibbled and laughed, but some other things happened and Isaac showed up. You guys know what Isaac means in Hebrew? He, laughter. That's kind of cool, right? The way God weaves things in and it's almost saying like God's like, who's laughing now type thing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like who's laughing? And then when Isaac is a young man, part of their tradition was to go sacrifice an animal to God. So Abraham is told by God to what? Take Isaac up to the mountain and offer him to me. He's mine. And so Isaac being a smart boy, as they're packing the donkey or ox or whatever they had to go up to the mountain, he said, hey, pops, where's the animal? And what, did it, what was Abraham's response? Son, God will provide. The Lord will provide. Imagine that journey. So modern day, say we were going to go to, say Kayla was my, she is my daughter, and God told me to go offer Kayla up at CSM. Beautiful football field overlook. Kayla, as we're packing the car, would go, hey, Dad, when we've done this before, we had an animal, and I would say, God will provide. But what if we start driving up 92 and we're getting close to CSM? Kayla's taking her earphones out and going, uh, well, are we going to stop at the store? Do they have some animals at piazzas? What's going on? And then we get up to the football field, and I build the altar, and Kayla's like, uh, Dad, uh, there's no animals around here. And right when I'm set to give my will into the Lord, the Lord speaks, don't touch her. And what the Lord told Abraham, don't touch the boy. And there's a ram. So James simply says, Abraham could have believed anything he wanted about God. But if he would have got halfway up the mountain and said, the old man upstairs lost it, we're going back home, that would have proved his faith to be what? James would say what? Dead. That's all he's saying. So we think of Abraham and we go, oh, yeah, we love him. I can never aspire to have that much faith. But then we keep reading the story or this account. Verse 24. I'll get a little hit of water. That is a loaded verse. Again, don't overcomplicate it. What does that word justified mean? Being made right before God. God in grace saves human beings. He, by grace alone, through the death and resurrection of his son, saves people. Abraham giving into his will to the Lord was not the atoning work. It was the proved work of the coming of Jesus Christ. So it's kind of technical, but hang with me. There's been a lot of debate over this verse throughout the ages. Some people go too far and say, I have to do, 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 so I'll be saved, 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 saved. And as James is arguing, no, when we believe, when we receive, when we're transformed, when we're cleansed, then our life, our work is simply the spotlight that says, it's God, I believe in him, that's why I'm doing these things. So he says in this summation of Abraham, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's that waltz I talked about. No one is justified by works alone. James is not saying that. 
It's almost, as Paul would say, a bit of a mystery, though we have a lot of evidence through the written word. So next verse, here we go. Another character shows up. You would have to go to Joshua 2, Joshua 6, James 2, and Hebrews 11 to see this name Rahab. She's sprinkled through the Bible. Just so you know out of the gate, she is David, King David. She's David's great, great, great grandmother. I might have missed the great, but she's in the lineage. Okay? And in the same way, James writes, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? This is tricky. We'll talk about the story for a minute. James is arguing, was not Rahab also justified when she lied to her king and protected God's people? Do you see where that's tricky? Maybe you don't think like me. So Rahab said no to one of the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to roll that way today. She's going to deceive her pagan king's decree. We'll talk about it in a second, what the actual story was, if you're not familiar. And she's going to honor the Lord's people and do something to spare them. That's why the Bible is not easy to read. That's why we're teaching our children and our youth to really ask the questions of the Bible, not to simply take it as a literal, literal text, but to go deep and see the big story in it. Because that could spin our heads for four days if I said, yeah, Rahab was justified by lying. That was her work. And if we don't know the character and nature of God revealed ultimately through Jesus Christ, we stumble and we go, blah, 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 blah. And then we type things that we don't mean and then we get in a big tizzy and then we don't talk to that person ever again at work. That's not what the gospel mission is about, our message. We can say to people who bring up questions like that, that's a good point. I've never really thought about it that way. I gotta do some Digging. So Rahab, if you're not familiar, she was a prostitute. As the saying goes, it's the oldest profession in the world. She paid men to, for herself. And contextually and through the scriptures, we know that her house was probably, her little place that she stayed, was probably more of a brothel than anything else, where lots of prostitutes were. Okay? And so Rahab was a pagan woman. She was a Canaanite. Joshua was received from the Lord to send spies into the promised land and go check it out. That's smart. If we were going to go do a trip to, say, Madagascar, it'd probably be wise to send a team to go check it out before we send our whole church, right? It's just good smarts. So spies show up. And maybe in common sense they go, we know what those houses look like and lots of men come in and out of those houses all night so maybe we should try and hide in there because we won't be what? Noticed. Smart. Joshua 2 continues, they're noticed and word gets back to the king and the king sends his messengers to Rahab and they say to Rahab, we know some foreigners are here, where are they? We want to have a little chat with them. What was the chat going to be like? Yeah, it was going to be a quick one. Say la vie. 
or whatever we do, right? So Rahab simply says in Joshua 2, they're not here. They went out that gate. Go follow them. You can get them before the sun goes down. So Rahab was wise and cunning and bold. Amen? Because what happens to Rahab if they're caught not out that gate? Joshua 2 goes on to tell us the king's men and his garrisons go try and find this spy cohort. And she has hid them on her roof. And she goes up and talks to them and explains the situation. And she's a very smart woman. She says, we know of your Lord. We know of the miracles. We know about the Red Sea. We know about the provision in the desert. We know all these things and we trust you to speak well for us to him basically. And she says, when you come and take what's yours, can you spare us? And the story goes on to say, the men say, no problem. And they decide to place a scarlet red sash out of the window of Rahab's house. So when God's people go and have a conflict and start taking land, they see this red sash and Rahab and her family are spared and they are accepted into God's people, the nation of Israel. And like I said, she becomes one of King David's great-grandparents. So what James simply does is, if Rahab would have been on the roof, go, I know about the Lord, I know about Yahweh, I know about Elohim, I can do all that. Okay, I know all about him. Hey, you know, remember us, I get what he did. And then what if she double-dipped, but then what if she sent messengers to the king to say they're up here, Rahab could have believed whatever she wanted about God, but she put her faith into action by literally being a rest, a harbor, a safe place for these spies. And that's what James is alluding to. That's the brass tacks. That's what he's getting down to. Side note, with Abraham... And Isaac, after the Lord provided in that way, we don't have much written about Abraham being kind of a doubting, clunky, father-type figure anymore. We see him kind of mature. Side note, with Rahab, we're fairly certain she gave up her ways as a prostitute and began to serve the Lord. And God in grace bore his son Jesus through her lineage, which is amazing. So James does two things. James, to our antagonist, the one who's poking these questions, I have faith, he has works, which is better, yada, yada, yada. James obliterates them with two stories, Abraham and Rahab. Why would he do that? He's a pastor, he knows the scriptures, he could have used anybody. He does this to say, Christians, none of you is more noble than Abraham. So don't even try. And Abraham's faith was alive and well, and I showed you how he lived it out by pursuing God and it not just being head knowledge. He actively lived out a life of faith, even when it didn't make sense. So James is putting up two figures for us, and he says, none of you are better than him, and you know it. And they would all go, yeah, Abraham was pretty good. And then... 
What does he do? To the doubter? To the recent convert? To the person who is struggling with things even like prostitution, man or woman? To the most debased life? By the grace of God and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you too can place your faith in God and live a life worthy of the calling. He obliterates both the proud, and I don't mean this the wrong way, God would never love me. I've done too much bad. James says, stop it. James says, God loves you. God died for you. Stop asking trivial questions about faith and works. Live a life as been scribed by our Lord in Matthew 5 through 7 and Luke 7 and 8 and the rest of the Gospels. And as the apostles wrote, live a life worthy of the calling. When Rahab was received by the Lord, was forgiven and cleansed, was commissioned, was now following him in that Old Testament context, Did she deal with angry people differently? Probably. Did she deal with the hurts in her own past that got her to being a prostitute? I've never been a prostitute, but I can imagine some things went wrong. Did she deal with her family differently? Yes, she was pursuing the Lord. And as I mentioned, Abraham appeared to be different. He appeared to see things differently. Abraham was a bit of a flighty, doubting man, and God in grace challenged him to live out his faith, and he did. Rahab was a sinful woman, and God in grace bought her and caught her and showed her and loved her, and she now is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Amazing. So what about us? What about you and I? In the last week or two, if you're here last week or even right now, what is the Lord prompting on your heart dealing with faith and works? Hear your pastor. You can work as hard as you want. And if that's where your faith is, your own righteousness, that's not what James taught. James taught Salvation is received by faith through the grace of God, and then, and then, it is this mystery, this waltz, this dance, where it partners with our lives. Kayla, I love you. What was your response? Thumbs up. It's a junior high response. How would you know I loved you if I couldn't talk? Anybody can answer for. I could sign it, right? One, four, three. I love you. How would you know I loved you if my arms were cut off? This is good, right? Now we're thinking in church. I could, though I can't speak anymore. I could maybe write it with my elbow on an iPad, right? So my hand. 
How would you know I loved you if my arms were cut off up to my shoulders? Ooh, we're getting real good right now, huh? I could probably learn to ride it with my big toe on an iPad. She said, yes. What if I was a below-knee amputee doubled, had no more toes? How would you know I loved you? Good, I put her on the spot. She did great, huh? She did wonderful. But that's at the heart of what James is getting at. I can still communicate that I'm for her, I believe in her, I love her with the reality of my life and how I choose to serve her and others every day, even if I can't talk and I can't write. To the antagonist, James is saying, stop talking. Stop talking. And to those who just want to work and do everything and not open their mouths ever to talk about their Lord and their faith, start talking a bit. There is a beautiful blend between faith and works, and that's what James is hammering. Don't go too far either way. Be down the middle of the gospel. We close with this. My voice barely made it. Abraham's faith which led to his obedience, played a story through God's providence, big word, God's plan through history to be told for all time. Abraham's story was a foreshadowing of God sending his son to be the real Isaac to take our place. That's amazing, right? And Abraham enters into that by faith, but then lives it out, and now he is to be honored, not worshipped. Rahab as well, though. Rahab's faith in the Lord, which led to lying and deceiving, but honoring God in that. That's weird, too, right? You guys are like, wait, don't go too far with it. Just hear the story. And then this scarlet cord, this scarlet, this red material played into the account of what we're going to hear in a couple weeks. What color was her savior's blood as he hung on a tree crimson red so by being obedient by saying yes i believe and i'll prove it god in grace put up for history and for us to see not only a noble man a hebrew but a lady of the night to go remember her and her faith as well that should encourage our hearts i don't think god's going to rewrite the bible Christ has come, died, and been resurrected. That is complete, and we say praise God. But our faith partnered with our works in that beautiful, mysterious dance with the Lord can hear this. God can use to change lives of people we know and love and maybe people we don't. That's the beauty of it. God might take your obedience, your life, your works this week, and do something amazing. You might see it, but you might not. But that's this partnership we get to walk with the Lord so be bold be bold in your faith don't talk too much though that's funny from a preacher right shut up no I would never say that to anybody be bold in your works but it's not just about your works it is a dance what does Paul say 
whether we eat, drink, sleep, do all for the glory of Christ. That's what James is getting at. Be motivated by God and his love for you, his love for people. Be motivated by his grace that he's lavished upon all of us, even the times when we were unfaithful to him. Be motivated. Read the scriptures. Pray your prayers. Get together. But James says what? Don't let it stop there. Go prove to the world that our faith is alive and well and not dead. Go prove to the world that our faith rests on one who was raised from the grave. James is snarky. His whole faith without works is dead is predicated on our Savior is alive. Did we catch that? It's a wordplay. He kind of says, gotcha. We're going to celebrate that, that this Easter season. Like I said, we'll have those invitations next week. Last announcement. April 9th is Palm Sunday. Be here. It'll be wonderful. Our children will be involved in that service. You'll love it. But after we go have fellowship, we have some Easter-type candies that we're going to put on our invitations. And a couple of people have already said, I'm in. I want to lead the charge. Then we're going to head down to the farmer's market for 15 or 20 minutes. We're going to engage with people. We're just simply going to say, hi, how are you? Our church is hosting a service next week. You are invited. We're going to start to reach out in that way. So that's April 9th. If you would like to join us doing that, we would love to have you. I would love the whole church to go down there. We'd be done in three minutes. It would be a little weird, though, right? See this army of Christians. No, I'm kidding. That's an oxymoron, too, an army of Christians. But I get the, the context. Why don't we stand up? I was short today because my voice said, no mas. So you're welcome. Right? I hope you guys are encouraged to not only believe and talk and research and study, at the same time live it out, and not just live it out, but to be encouraged to read and talk and research and study. It is a dance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this dear family. Thank you for what this season represents. Thank you for the story of you throughout human history. Thank you for James's wise words. Thank you for Abraham and his faith, and thank you for Rahab and her obedience. Help us as we go. Bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us until the days of your return are going to you. In Jesus' name, amen.